0: Chapter 18 of birds and their nests. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Prajakta. Birds and their nests by Mary Howitt. The Bullfinch. This bird, which is common to all parts of the country, is very shy and for the greater part of the year, haunts the woods and thickets. In spring, however, its fondness for tender fruit birds tempts it into gardens and orchards, where being considered an enemy, it is destroyed without mercy. It is a question, however, whether it devours these young birds as favourite food, or whether it may not be the equally distinctive grub or insect, which is the temptation. And thus, that it ought rather to be regarded as the friend than the enemy of the gardener and fruit grower. At all events, the general opinion is against the poor bullfinch. He is declared to be a devourer of the embryo fruit and no mercy is shown to him. The Reverend J.G. Wood, always a merciful judge where birds are concerned, thinks that public opinion is unfairly against him. He says that a gooseberry tree, from which it was supposed that the bullfinches had picked away every blossom bud, yet bore the same year an abundant crop of fruit, which certainly proved that they had picked away only the already infected birds, and so left the tree in an additionally healthy state, doubly able to mature and perfect its fruit. Bullfinches seldom associate with other birds but keep together in small flocks as of single families. Its flight though quick, is somewhat undulating or wavering, and in the winter it may sometimes be seen in large numbers, flitting along the roadsides and hedges, being probably forced out of some of its shyness by the stress of hunger. Its ordinary note is soft and plaintive whistle, its song short and mellow. It is in its native state, nowhere distinguished as a singing bird, but at the same time it is possessed of a remarkable faculty for learning tunes artificially, of which I may have more to say presently. The bullfinch begins to build about the beginning of May. She places her nest, as we see in our illustration, in a bush, frequently a hawthorn, at no great distance from the ground. The nest is not very solidly put together, the foundation, so to speak, being composed of small dry twigs then finished off with fibrous roots and moss, which also form the lining. The eggs, five or six in number, are of a dull bluish white, marked at the larger end with dark spots. Although there is so little to say about the bullfinch in his natural state, accepting that he is a handsome bird, with bright black eyes, a sort of rich black hood on his head, his back ash-gray, his breast and underparts red, wings and tail black, with the upper tail covered white. Yet when he has gone through his musical education, he is not only one of the most accomplished of songbirds, But one of the most loving and faithfully attached little creatures that can come under human care. These trained birds are known as piping bullfinches, bullfinch and nestlings. Bishop Stanley in his History of Birds thus describes the method by which they are taught. In the month of June, the young ones which are taken from the nest for that purpose are brought up by a person who by care and attention, so completely tempts them that they become perfectly docile and obedient. At the expiration of about a couple of months, they first begin to whistle, from which time their education begins. And no school can be more diligently superintended by its master and no scholars more effectually trained to their own calling than a seminary of bullfinches. They are formed first into classes of about six in each, and after having been kept a longer time than usual without food and confined to a dark room, the tune they are to learn is played over and over again on a little instrument called a bird organ. The notes of which resemble as nearly as possible those of the bullfinch, sometimes also a flageolet, is used for this purpose and birds so taught are said to have the final notes. For a while the little mopping creatures will sit in silence, not knowing what all this can mean but after a while one by one will begin to imitate the notes they hear for they have great power of imitation as well as remarkably good memories. As soon as they have said their lesson all round, light is admitted into the room and they are fed. By degrees the sound of the musical instrument be it flageolet or bird organ and the circumstance of being fed becomes so associated in the mind of the hungry bird that it is sure to begin piping the tune as soon as it hears it begin to play. When the little scholars have advanced so far they are put into a higher class that is to say are turned over each to his private tutor, in other words each bird is put under the care of a boy who must carry on its education and who plays on the little instrument from morning to night or as long as the bird can pay attention, during which time the headmaster or feeder goes his regular rounds scolding or rewarding the little feathered scholars by signs and moods of making them understand till they have learned their lessons so perfectly. And the tune is so impressed on their memories, that they will pipe it to the end of their days. And let's hope, as I believe is the fact, that they find in it a never-ending delight. Just as in human schools and colleges, it is only the few out of the great number, who take the highest honors or degrees, or become senior wranglers. So it is not above 5 birds in every hundred who can attain to the highest perfection in their art. But all such are valued at a very high price. It is allowable to hope that the poor bullfinch, which has thus industriously applied himself to learn and has thus become artificially gifted with the power of pleasing, takes great satisfaction in his accomplishment. Perhaps also the association with his human teacher calls forth his affection as well as his power of song. For it is a fact that the piping bullfinch is, of all birds, given to attach himself to one individual of the family where it is kept, expressing at their approach the most vehement delight, greeting them with its piping melody, hopping towards them and practicing all its little winning ways to show its love, and to quote a written of caresses. An interesting story, says the bishop, was told by Sir William Parsons, who was himself a great musician, and who, when a young man possessed a piping bullfinch, which he had taught to sing, God save the king. On his once going abroad, he gave his favourite in charge to his sister, with a strict injunction to take the greatest care of it. On his return, one of his first visits was to her, when she told him that the poor little bird had been long in declining health and was at that moment very ill. Sir William, full of sorrow, went into the room where the cage was and, opening the door, put in his hand and spoke to the bird. The poor little creature recognized his voice, opened his eyes, shook his feathers, staggered on to his finger, Pipe, God save the king and fell down dead. We see in piping bullfinch a bird which in its education is closely associated with man, the deep and devoted affection of which it is capable and if we could only live with the animal creation as their friends and benefactors, we should no longer be surprised by such instances of their intelligence and love. End of chapter 18